everyone, welcome to Flywheel, your number one source for everything Frax, DeFi, and everything in between. If you want to know what's going on in the world on chain, you've come to the right place. This is DeFi Dave, here with Capital K, and we're here to help you harness the power of the Flywheel. And on this one, we went deep into the Flywheel. We went over to our friends in Curveland, with to our friend Curve Market Cap, to get a picture of what's going on over there. We get deep in this episode. Everything flywheel with curve, convex, frax, governance, uh, every the token block, models, the token model, like everything. Um, really fun episode. Kit, thoughts? Like, dude, I am not every day do we get to really dive deep and have a real conversation about like the inner workings of this little corner of the internet that you know we all love. And Garrett, the man, he just wealth of knowledge and the ability to just kind of riff with him for two hours was like amazing. So like for, and also for all you curve bulls out there, he gives you guys a great dose of hopium in the pod too. So, this is a Justin Drake of curve. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is, this is Justin <laughs> Drake. He, he, he would deliver you that, that strong yeah. hopium straight to the veins uh, midway yeah. through the pod. No, I, I agree with you. I really appreciate having these conversations with people that are, you know, are into it and as deep down the rabbit hole as us. And it doesn't get deeper than curve market cap. Um, really respect his media hustle, media's grind. He comes from yeah. a place of passion, um, very similar to us. He's basically our contemporary, but in the curve ecosystem. And mm-hmm. just the way we went back and forth, like we were able to like, you know, get really granular on some of the finer points of the curve ecosystem and the whole curve fracture relationship. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And I mean, we, we asked the hard questions too, right? So yeah. like he, he definitely held his ground and, and he gave some clarity even on how curve USD is going to be built around and the kind of the design as well yeah. too. So make sure you pay attention to that part. That, that was definitely my favorite part of the episode. We literally had to go like, you know, run it back, run it back. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Explain like, to me again. <laughs> yeah. Explain to me again. But you know, without further delay, let's get right into it. And if you want all the alpha, all the drops, Make sure you hit that bell button, like, subscribe, leave us a comment. Let, me, let us know what you, you think. Let us know what we can do better. Uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at FlywheelPod. Join us in our Telegram group, at FlywheelPod. You can follow me on Twitter, at DeFiDave22. And you can follow me at 0xCapital underscore K. And let's get the flywheel spinning. Do you hold ETH but don't know what to do with it? Want to earn those juicy liquid staking derivative yields but don't know where to start? Well, FraxEath is there for you. FraxEath is Frax's native LSD solution, allowing you to earn boosted yields in multiple ways on your ETH. If you want to get started, go to app.frax.finance and turn your ETH into FraxEath today. All right, this time on Flywheel Pod, we have on the founder and editor of the Curve Market Cap. Big fan. He's been. Honestly, he like preceded us in terms of coverage of the whole Frax, Convex, Curve ecosystem. And he really paved the way for us to come on. I'm like, you know what? You can do media coverage of just one protocol. You can be consistent with it. And you can take a view of the whole DeFi ecosystem from the lens of a protocol. In our case, it's Frax. But in Garrett's case, it's Curve. So Garrett, thank you for coming on. It's a huge honor. We're a huge we're huge fans, and honestly, like we wouldn't be here without you paving the way. 
Oh, thank you very much. And uh, likewise, very big fans of both of you. And uh, I think that what's been amazing to see this is like I launched my kind of like imperfect V1 and so many people have like taken my concept and made it so much better, uh, including you. Like I really admire everything you've done with the flywheel pod. Thank you. That means thank a lot. Sir. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so interesting. Like the evolution of just the crypto media landscape, how it started off just like just Bitcoin like, and also like very general. And then you just get into ETH and you know, there's, it's very hard for people to find like, I, not even the right information, but just like reliable information, information that's just, you know, as is and doesn't have an agenda behind it. It's more of just like, Hey, this is what's going on. This is, you know, here are the facts. But a lot of times it's just like a spin on it. And it's just like, it's hard in this like algorithm driven world to like, you know, we, we have to deal with it too. Like, you know, how do we like, the question is like, how do we like attract like more viewers? Like how, how big do you think like the whole, like not just DeFi, but specifically like people interested in like curve and Frax and like, or people that want to be interested in it and, uh, it, and it is like, how big do you think that ecosystem is? <laughs> Well, I still think there's like 10 total people in DeFi and they just have a bunch of alts. Um, no, uh, it's funny you say that there's like spin free because both of us have like very spin heavy um, subject matters. Like you obviously yeah. have a frack spin, I have a curve spin. Um, and yet I still think that the content that all of us put out is way better than like if you like have ever watched like CNBC or Bloomberg or any of that, like they support 24 hour news channels and they're recycling like really infantile garbage um, like around the clock. I think yeah. that crypto could easily support a 24-hour news network and it wouldn't even cover the surface of everything that's going on in this space. Yep. It's such, such a crazy space. Yeah, absolutely. And note, you're right. We do have our spins, like the, your curve spin, our frack spin, but we're explicit about it. We wear it on our sleeve. Like, you know <laughs> what we're about and you can like take the information in accordingly. Um, you know, so like a lot of times, like I feel like there's just a lot of psyops going on. I mean, that's just natural. <laughs> in in this ecosystem <laughs> and like you have to just be around and like notice it. it takes like it's just like learning a language you know you stick around enough you become fluent in psyops you become fluent in it and then you're just like oh <laughs> this is happening again come on <laughs> yeah exactly like every single time there's fud we know that they're going to attack tether like the tether peg is going to come into question <laughs> this is literally the same song being played every single time there's like some major catastrophe that happens yeah yep yeah, yeah. anytime it's going up china bans bitcoin again Everything goes down for some reason. It's like, oh, we're at this part of the cycle. <laughs> like, yeah, same yeah. song, same song. Yeah. But speaking, of, I, I would love to take a step back pre-crypto, pre-everything, Garrett. I want to know more about you. Like, how did, you know, what is your background and what kind of led you down this, like, niche of the internet? Yeah, for sure. So I've been doing startups for, like, my entire career. I knew for some reason, like, when I was in college that I was, like, was interested in, like, starting things. Um, so like I had huge college loans to pay off. So I started working at startups and then I, once I got like more like of the loans paid down and more of a war chest, I started like getting earlier and earlier on the founding team of things. Um, and then eventually I just, like started founding my own and I had like a pretty like mixed bag, like some were like catastrophic failures, some were kind of successful. Um, and, uh, eventually I took a break. Uh, I got, a uh, my MBA from MIT in the field of like entrepreneurship. Um, which was kind of interesting because like I got to study like what's the like academic approach to starting a company. And it's so much different to study it than it is to do it. But it's still kind of interesting to like actually hear some like the theory behind it. Um, but then like I dove right back in. And at that point, a lot of startups were starting to become like more crypto, right? Because this was like closer to like 2014, 2015. 
um, like Bitcoin was around, Ethereum was getting off the ground, and all of a sudden there was like a lot of venture capital money behind it for like one of the first waves of these things. And that's around when I like started like looking into crypto. And like, it, I definitely remember I had this moment where I was like sitting in the room with all these other like crypto startup founders and realizing that I was by far the dumbest person in that room. And I just realized there was going to be such an inflow of brains in this space that I uh, wanted to be a part of it. Um, and like being stupid, it took me until 2019 to like actually dive in and say like, okay, I'm just going to go full time into cryptocurrency. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Super cool. And and like as as a startup founder, like did, did you get, when you said go full time into crypto, did you like founded a company or, 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 or what did you do there? Yeah, I tried some like uh, crypto startups back in 2014, um, didn't get very far. And at the time, the uh, government asked me to stay out of the crypto space for a few years. So I did. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I kind of put crypto to the sidelines and focused on other startups. So I was looking at one like digital advertising and it never really like was as interesting to me um, as like all the stuff going on in crypto. So when I like looked at it again in 2019, it was like the amount that crypto had progressed in those five years just completely blew me away. Because like way back in 2015 or so, like it was just like Bitcoin maxis fighting with Ethereum maxis and literally the same argument again and again and again. It wasn't that interesting. Um, and then all of a sudden 2019 comes in and you start like looking at all the action going on in the space and you start seeing DeFi and NFTs. And like it started to realize that all this promise was being fulfilled and more rapidly than I even thought. Yeah. So what are some of those things you saw when you looked back to, into the space again in 2019? What were like the DeFi things that really caught your eye? And then how'd you end up at Curve? Yeah, so I think the first thing I noticed was this is back when like interest rates were like 0%, right? And um, I like had like a, some small bags lying around from way back when, like some Bitcoin and like some other like small things I bought. And like the first thing I started looking at was like, okay, like there's something going on here in this uh, space. Now that like smart contracts are real and people are actually building applications with it, there must be some place where I could put some of this money to work because like the life of a Bitcoin maximalist is really dull. All you do is you like you just buy more Satoshis and then you sit and you look at them. Um, but like I, I'm not very smart, so I kind of like a thrill seeking personality. So I'm like, well, maybe I can do something with it beyond just like sitting there and looking at it. So I was like looking for where could I earn Bitcoin yield? Um, and that kind of fell me into the uh, DeFi rabbit hole. I asked a colleague of mine um, who like I knew was like more involved in the space um, because I just couldn't believe it when I was looking at these things and I was seeing like 6% yield on stable coins or 10% or 20% in some cases. And then uh, treasury bills were like 0.25%. And I was like, there has to be a startup here. Like um, there has to be some way of like bridging the money. And we found out that there was, and that was all the things based on Terra. So I'm glad I didn't go down that route. Um, but. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. There's like some alternative timeline where you like didn't build curve market cap. You built Terra market cap. <laughs> <laughs> Anchor yeah, market my cap. Colleague, like, I was, I, at the time I was asking about Binance. I was like, these yields, like there's all this yield farming on Binance. He's like, no, don't pay attention to Binance. You got to go look at curve. Um, and we did, and we were like collaborating on what we could do to like build stuff for them. And um, I started like reading more about it and um, just kind of fell into it. Like I read some about the other like protocols that were around at the time, but none of them had like the kind of mathematical rigor of curve that got me kind of interested. Yes. So what do you think are like, like back then? So like what really stuck out 
about kind of the mathematical rigor? Was it like the way like their AMM was set up? Was it the way their DAO was structured? Was it the way something about their community and the people that coalesced around Curve? Like, what elements um, overall made you attracted to the Curve community? Yeah, it's it's a really good question. So I think at the time my knowledge of DeFi was very elementary, so I didn't really have like much knowledge of what was going on. So I was struggling with all these kind of new questions people have when they get into DeFi, right? Like, where does the yield come from? So like before you like. I say I'm like risk seeking, but I'm actually pretty risk averse. So before I put my money anywhere, I like well, I really wanted to study it and see if I could understood it, uh, understand it. And I feel like with Curve, every time like I had a question like this, I would like dive into their documentation or their forums to try and uncover the answer. And like every layer I peeled back revealed like this much more complex layer underneath. Um, and it just made me realize like the amount of intelligence and thought that had gone into things, like the VE tokenomics model. Right. Like you're like you ask, like, how does the governance work? And you uncover this like VE tokenomics model, which took a long time to understand. And I was like, OK, they're clearly onto something. And I would like to like associate and understand something about what's going on with all this. Yeah, um, I kind of felt the same way about Frax, honestly, like especially now has, yeah. how it's uh, mm -hmm. how it's evolved from like where it started as just a stablecoin to now. You know, I'm pretty sure you've seen that meme of like the flywheel Zodiac and all the different parts of the Frax because <laughs> there's like yeah. so much to like peel back and uncover and like get, keeps us busy. But, you know. Absolutely. And this is yeah. like a huge yeah. difference between 2014 where you could understand everything about cryptocurrency in, you know, a day maybe. And now you yeah. can spend a lifetime on just one really good protocol like Frax or like Curve and still be uncovering nuances, I think. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And now let's move forward. So you're, diving into curve you're getting your questions answered you're researching and then DeFi summer comes along 2020 so <laughs> can you give us like kind of an overview of your DeFi summer experience you know what were you like what what got you excited there were you like did you like see other things that you were excited about um what was your thoughts on the whole swerve drama and like what are your <laughs> thoughts on just like yield farming in general so just for some context, I came in kind of late. So I was uh, just at the end of the Swerve drama. Mm. Um, that's around when I first started okay. getting into Curve. Um, but I like I was like interested in learning in like all the facets of Curve before I got into it. So I ended up like delaying putting any money in until mm. like all the good yields were gone. Um, and I still kind of regret nice. that I didn't like just like ape blindly in when I first uh, like heard about it. Um, but that being said, like my thought with this was if I have these questions, I'm sure other people have questions too. So I got in the practice of just like blogging about it in public. And that's basically the origin of the, um, well, so I, there's sort of two actually origin stories for like this Substack. First was I wanted like, like share my learning in public. Um, because yeah, I'm sure you well know that if you get something wrong in any of your podcasts, you have like a million people you never heard of <laughs> yeah, up here to yeah. tell you why you're an idiot. Um, and that was like, I thought really useful to refining yeah, my best. understanding was just like saying like, Hey, the yield from curve APY comes from treasury bills. No, it doesn't. You idiot. Like, um, you know, just, just putting wrong information out and getting corrected. Um, but, uh, at the time, actually, like I was working with someone else and considering like trying to launch like, uh, just a data and analytics platform for curve. Um, so I was actually like trying to build something more like DeFi Llama where it would like track the history of curve yields. So you could go back and research it. Cause that was a big missing piece I saw at the time was like, I didn't want to put money in these pools until I knew like, what's the history of this? Is this APY you're seeing? Is it going up? Is it going down? How's it trending? 
So I started trying to build out like more of a DeFi Llama platform and the blogging was actually like secondary as a way of like driving attention to it. Um, but then it ended up curve grew faster and more complex than my poor database could handle. So the site started getting buggy and I couldn't keep up and I just shut the site down. And then like the blog was still going um, just got, like as this like vestigial thing. And I, I actually like <laughs> don't know what to do with it necessarily, but it's like people seem to like it. So I keep kind of trying to grow it. Yeah. So you said that Curve like was going to get more complex more than, you know, th your data could keep up with. How was Curve evolving at this rate? rate? What was like really driving it, this evolution? So at the time, it was doing a few things. First of all, it was like going cross chain a lot more. Mm -hmm. So it was um, uh, you're seeing like a lot of like things appearing on Polygon, which is like a beautiful wasteland of all these projects. Because um, <laughs> it's so cheap to launch things there. Uh, and, you know, you can like you can have a viable liquidity pool of a few thousand dollars. So like, there's just like a much more kind of experimentation going on there. And I couldn't keep, like, like I couldn't keep my server like to like adequately tracking everything and pulling all the logos as fast as I needed to. Um, and then uh, also like, this was around the time that curve was starting to release. It's like factory mm. and the factory also ushered Ooh. in like this extra wave of innovation. And then with it came like some pools that didn't quite fit to the way that I was storing in the database. And it didn't quite fit into the way that I like was expecting a pool to look. Um, so like uh long story short like it just really wasn't worth the time and um and i didn't get the sense that it was getting the usage or like even had like a viable like um like a viable path to offset the server costs so i kind of put the put it on hiatus and by the time i put it on hiatus with you know initially was with plans to rebuild it off of like a better uh graphql implementation um but i never got around to it and people were like liking the blog so i just was like all right maybe i'm a blog now <laughs> good pivot good pivot and yeah. <laughs> when did you decide to do because when i think of you know curve market cap i think of dude in suit daily <laughs> just pasting just you know the thumbnail just every day a yeah. safe suit just game content just consistent <laughs> like where where is the origin story of the suit did you always wear that from the very first blog post um, pretty much like I didn't have any real idea what I was doing when I started doing the video. It was the same thing. I was like, let me try and like start doing videos to try and promote this, like, um, this website and get some attention around it. And it was like a skill I wanted to learn a little bit. Cause I knew how, like, I knew like how crazy videos gotten in the past 10 years. And I am like unique from people that I don't watch videos. So I have no idea what makes for a good video. Um, so I was just guessing and I was like, all right, who has been good at doing these things in the past? And I thought of like news people like Walter Cronkite and things like that. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, wow. well maybe like if I want people to take me seriously, I should like wear a suit or something. Um, and then <laughs> I thought it'd be like kind of a fun costume. Cause also at the time it was like, there's a lot of lockdowns and a lot of people were like complaining about like, oh, I've just worn sweatpants for five days in a row. And I was like, yeah, I haven't changed out my pajamas. And I was like, well, maybe I could like look a little different from everyone else by like classing it up a bit. Uh, but people seem to like it. So I stuck around and I'm, spoiler alert, thinking about buying a third suit. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Alpha Leak. Alpha Leak. I know. What color? That's, what that's color? big. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so, so funny. Yeah. Let's keep going on the timeline. So I'm, I'm curious, like when, uh, I mean, with Curve, you have like every, all these like different protocols going around it. You had like, yearn you had staked out and then all of a sudden convex came on bigly in the scene what was oh, that yeah. like yeah when like convex first came out was it like like oh like an oh shit moment like this is gonna be a game changer like 
what was your thoughts when like when convex came out and like what are your thoughts of how convex has evolved since yeah convex emerging was so wild because at the time all a lot of the talk was like you know curve had released this like ve tokenomics and there's like a lot built into it but kind of one big piece of it is that like the uh, governance value of locked VECRV is in and of itself useful, right? Like protocols are theoretically going to want to acquire VECCRV so that they can steer liquidity towards their liquidity pools. And I feel like at the time, like the promise had a little bit outstripped the reality and that like there are some uh, like, you know, massive emissions and like not nearly enough like protocol demand to kind of give it the value that I thought that um, um, it should see. Uh, so a lot of Convex's premise was that like this will become a valuable asset one day and we want to become this layer around it. Um, so they just really aggressively kind of moved um, to like fix up a lot of the holes in the VE uh, tokenomics model because like people do not like the idea of having to stake it for four years and keep repping the stakes. Um, but doing it through Convex is like so simple um, that it like removed a lot of the user interface questions, but also gave Convex like an incredibly powerful stash, which uh, I think we're still seeing hints of how they're going to like uh, how they're going to deploy that. Um, like obviously, Frax is uh, sorry, uh, Convex has like been also working with Frax and like really figures out great opportunities. And I yeah. feel like the amount of potential energy they've been accumulating, um, I don't think we've even yet seen them start to release it and kind of like actualize so it. But what are some of those? What are some of those hints you think? Hints of how what Convex how, is doing, yeah, yeah, or what are they going to do with all this uh, VECRV power? So, I mean, they're already like doing a good job in terms of like uh, governance. I know you have like some questions about like uh, how they fit into governance and whatnot. Um, I think that they like you know through Vodium and everything, like kind of building out that bribe game is pretty great. Uh, like at the moment, we're in this kind of like protracted bear market, um, so I think we're also seeing like a slowdown in terms of innovation and liquidity in the space, which is the kind of biggest challenge I see a lot of protocols having to get through. Um, I think that until we start to see new innovations emerging um, and like capturing major market share, I don't know what Convex is necessarily going to do other than kind of like treading water on that front. Um, but I, I couldn't guess, like I'm so, sure I'm not like too close with that team there. So I don't really know what they're thinking. So new innovations and, kind of uh, and accumulating liquidity or like having liquidity foster in one area is that what you're talking about like there hasn't been any like new like you know you like uniswap v3 might have been in curve v2 might have been like the last one there hasn't been anything else since you're saying i haven't seen anything quite like that no i think yeah. that there has been a pretty active like governance market that has developed um so if you haven't uh vote market dot uh, uh oh yeah um, like, I think they've done a good job of like summarizing like a lot of the bribes that happen sort of external to Convex, um, where people can directly use their VECRV or like VE tokens for other protocols um, to be able to like earn earn revenue off that. Uh, so I think that's like that has been like a bit of a, a slight innovation in terms of just aggregating it and keeping it in one place. And then StakeDAO is like a pretty nice and elegant system for how you can like actually like use staked out to leverage that um convex of course has their own kind of like uh vote lock convex and uh like vodium on top of that um so i think there's like different approaches to influencing governance um i think the quests that are going on like through paladin have been like other ways of unlocking this governance power mm -hmm. 
So I think that there is still a lot of innovation going on around it. I just think that the demand for like liquidity, like a lot of protocols are just surviving. Um, yeah. Frax is like one of the, like Frax is genius, I think in this, in that they are just like, they see this huge opportunity and they're just like, all right, we're going to like scoop all this up, uh, all this opportunity for ourselves. Yeah, it's exactly. It's funny. I remember last cycle, like liquidity really dried up on a lot of centralized exchanges um, and it was just really impossible to trade anything. Um, and now, like, I wouldn't say it, there's definitely way more liquidity now than there was last bear market, but it's still like a struggle for a lot of projects. And a lot of, like you said, a lot of projects are just trying to tread water and stay alive. Yeah, but yeah, I actually, I kind of see it as in a weird way, a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like I like, I don't know much about like trading and finance. Like I mentioned, I have more of a tech background, but I can evaluate like the building. And mm -hmm. during the bull market, a lot of the things that get launched are so stupid. It's like, let's fork oh, yeah. something else and put a 10,000% APY on it. And $10 million goes in overnight. And it's like, yeah. it's like, that's not really an interesting like innovation. Um, Whereas like over the past like year, uh, like, cause we've been in the bear market almost a year. Like if you're going to survive and like launch, launch into this, you have to have something. Um, yeah. And I think like a lot of the like innovation we're seeing like on Arbitrum, uh, like a lot of the stuff there, I don't get to dig into it too much because like I focus on curve, but lots of the stuff that's going on in Arbitrum blows my mind. Yeah. Um, I feel like a lot of the stuff that's launching and seeing success is like really good stuff. Oh yeah, for sure. We've been definitely keeping an eye on Arbitrum here and had quite a few guests talk about their favorite projects on Arbitrum. Um, I want to bring it back to uh, Curve though. And like, what do you think the state of the Curve ecosystem is today? What are some strong points you think and what are some weak ones right now? You kind of went over it a little bit, but anything we missed there? Yeah. So is Max Payne an option for uh, the state of the Curve ecosystem? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Pain. No, it's actually not that bad, I'd say. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think partly because, like, for my sake, from the point of view of a yield farmer, like, I put a lot of dollar coins in it. And the biggest effect of the bear market is, like, I thought that that had earned X percent yield. And turns out the yield I earned was slightly smaller. Um, so, like, from a yield farming perspective, it's not been that bad. No, I've, Curve overall is a protocol. Um, I'm really pleased to just say, like, we always hear about like this like concept of like a curve death spiral and whatnot. Uh, and I think if nothing else, like the resiliency that curve has been showing during the bear market has been like one of the like strongest selling points of it. Like, yes, it's token prices down like everything else, but it's still generating good. And in some cases, like record trading fees, despite lower liquidity. Um, and it's also seeing like a bunch of new interesting concepts getting built on top of, uh, top of it. So like this kind of like composability factor to it is pretty nice. Um, like I'm, it's nice that the yields have somewhat kept up and there's still interest in kind of like bribing and like, uh, steering liquidity. So any day a protocol is not collapsing during the bear, but actually finding ways to grow. I think it's like a really good day. Um, to the question of weak points, uh, that's a good question because you know, obviously like, um, when liquidity is flowing out, it's like a struggle for everybody. Um, and it does kind of raise this bigger question of like, is this liquidity outflow that DeFi is seeing right now, is it temporary or is it permanent, right? Like, is this going to reverse when macro conditions get better? Or is this like the writing is on the wall and we should be getting out now? Um, but I don't think it is. Like, I'm pretty bullish on DeFi generally, and I think it's going to come back. Um, so I think Curve has some challenges in terms of, like, I would like to see Curve become the largest, uh, like the primary trading platform, um, 
And one of Curve's like biggest uh, selling points is it's like uh, low slippage for whales for doing trades at high volume. And that's like that use case is a little bit lessened in the kind of bear market uh, because like no one's a whale anymore. Uh, so it's uh, <laughs> whales are got harpooned. <laughs> um, so, but I think like continuing to like innovate on this and like become like a, uh, I'd say onboarding new protocols into like the occasionally complex like curve pools would be one of the bigger challenges. Yeah, and how do you think you know curve? How do you think curve and Uniswap V three kind of like play that this whole? I don't even want to call it competition because like I think there's so still so much market share to be like captured here, but you know. You, you hear different arguments that like one may be better for the other. Like you said, like Curve is better for whales, but for like smaller trades, like Uniswap might be better. I've heard arguments that most trades via aggregators are routed through Uniswap V3, not Curve. So I guess like, how do you see like this, like this duality of Uni V3, Uniswap and Curve evolving over time? Yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting question because like the, uh, so I think if you look at it in terms of, yeah, yeah. So, so a lot to say on this. Um, so first off, like I don't see the rivalry to the extent other people do. Um, I yeah. think it's like fun to like uh, draw contrast between them because people always need to. And I think you know Twitter influencers need something to argue about. Um, but I think that the two have kind of always been like in similar spaces, but I see them as like building very different products. And like you were saying, I think there's like plenty of room for both. And in fact, I'd like to see ten more emerge because I think the space is big enough. And does better when there's like a bunch of options available. Um, so I think that Curve has been like really focused on things like minimizing slippage on large trades. And part of this equation is that they want to like get the most liquidity in their protocol so that they can facilitate large trades with low slippage. And they want um, part of that then is making the LP experience very good. Because if you make the LP experience good, then money will flow in and it will be the best uh, platform for trading. And I feel like Uniswap is um, like, I have no idea what they're thinking, um, but my guess is that they're focused on sort of capturing this like totality of the like long tail of the altcoin market. So for example, like if baby Corgi Inu or something launches, like you're not going to run to curve to try and find it. There's always an expectation that like the latest like fad token is going to be somewhere on Uniswap. Um, and it might not necessarily be like the most efficient trading algorithm because um, I think Curve's al trading algorithm is ultimately more efficient under the hood. Um, but like, you know, it doesn't really matter because if you like just want to get a few because you want to get a lottery ticket, you go to Uniswap. Um, so I think because of this, like Uniswap uh, focuses more on like making it like easy for anyone to use for that like basic trading, um, but they're not optimizing for the LP experience. So like Uniswap LPs might lose more money on it. Um, and like on, I would argue that you can't really fault them because their business model is like making a lot of money. So obviously they're doing something really right. Um, whereas Curve is like incredibly the opposite. Like Curve does pay attention to keeping its users from getting rugged. Um, and Curve like really cares about its LPs making money. And like you have things like the crypto risks team on Curve that uh, oh, they're like, great. inserted themselves into the yeah. cumbersome DAO process. Um, because like they really care about like keeping the ecosystem clean and focused on high quality tokens. And you could argue it's hurt curves growth in some regard, but it's like just a design choice, right? Um, yeah. yeah. It's better to be safer than so sorry. And it's interesting seeing how both systems evolve and like what's being built on both systems, like Uniswap V3, you know, the LP experience is difficult to say the least. And now you have mm -hmm. like 
you know, different things like Arrakis and other Uni V3 wrappers building around it, trying to make it easier. I think it comes down to like more so design choices than like lottery tickets. I feel like lottery tickets could be anywhere, like Uniswap, Sushi Swap. Uniswap just is like the Google of crypto. They really have that brand name. And so like when people think of, oh, I'm going to launch a token, they do it, do it on Uniswap. But I think you bring up a valid point that you can say that Curve cares about their LPs more because it's just like a much more, pa- I view like Curve, for running liquidity on Curve, a lot more passive experience. You have to worry less about IL or on Uniswap. On V2, you have to worry about it. But on V3, you really had to worry about it. Like on Uniswap V3, you basically have to be much more active and you have to be much more sophisticated as a liquidity provider in order to participate yeah. on there where on Curve, it's kind of built into the system. It's set and forget. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that the like um, the Uniswap V3, like a lot of the premise of it was like, we're going to like build this kind of like really sophisticated system for managing like trades within the spe- uh, specific liquidity bands. Um, and then I think some of the promise with it was that like other third party protocols would emerge to make it easier for LPs and, you know, like constantly rebalance liquidity. Um, but like Ethereum's expensive and like the gas costs to doing it efficiently, it's like really, really difficult. Um, and then like, not to mention like the role of like all the like MEV stuff that, uh, occurs around Uniswap, which is pretty, pretty crazy to watch. Um, yeah, but yeah, like like you say, it's like very different design choices, and I think both are building towards something different, which sort of manifests in how like this both are building for the next generation, because yeah. you know Curve after V two pools is pushing onto its lending based stablecoin, which supports all of its goals of like higher liquidity, low fee slippage trades, and it wouldn't really make sense in Uniswap's ecosystem. Whereas like Uniswap, like if they want to like capture this totality of the market, even if it's like um, less sophisticated investors, they're pushing into NFTs. Like, you know, yeah. kind of perfectly captures the long tail. A um, lot of money, a lot of like lottery tickets uh, in there. So, but you're right, lottery tickets could emerge anywhere. So, yeah. So, so no, you're, you're right with the NFTs. Uh, but, anyways, uh, Kit, uh, you had a question. Yeah, I wanted to ask, like, what would you say is the KPIs for Curve? Like, what indicators do you look at to, to be like, okay, Curve is on the right path. Like, this is what success looks like. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and I think this kind of got exemplified a bit when we were, like, pushing to the new UI. Because um, I got to be a little bit involved in the process of, like, the discussions. And, like, when you're doing the UI, like, that question comes up directly. Like, what shows up first? What do we care about? Um, and, like, there are some people that are saying, well, yeah, a lot of people use it for LPing. So, like, that's the most important thing. Um, but if you actually get down to it, what gives the token value is um, the trading fees, right? Like at the mm-hmm. end of the day, one curve, you lock it and you earn trading fees off of it. And people often forget that. But the trading is kind of what gives it value. If the trading fees go away, then curve is properly valued at zero. Um, and then you could also argue that the governance value is like a second secondary like um, value to the token that's on top of it. But like... I do think at the end of the day, Curve's mission is building like the most uh, robust trading platform. Um, and it kind of gets forgotten a bit, but I think as it's starting to get more and more pools launched against it, I think that like what I pay attention to is like the trading fees. Um, and uh, like people kind of wonder like, hey, why is everyone getting so excited? Like DeFi just nuked 90% and Michael's on Twitter cheering um, that we had a record breaking day. But like it really matters when you get a billion dollars in volume, $2 billion in volume off of liquidity. And I think improving that is like the most important thing. Yeah. And 
you mentioned uh, things in the pipeline is a uh, CRV USD. I want to get into that. Um, how do you see it? You know, complementing the curve ecosystem. This is kind of their take of ex uh, expanding like their you know DeFi Trinity in their own unique way. And um, how does it compare to other stables? You think? Yeah, good question. So I've been really eager to see the Curve USD launch and see how it goes. Uh, we thought we'd get it this year, but it, uh, you know, there's been extra emphasis on making sure it's like safe because it is really unprecedented in what it's doing. Um, so we'll see when it uh, finally gets out how it does. Um, I'd say that there's kind of two things that I'm watching for and really interested in seeing how it develops. The first is more short term. Um, like short term, I have to admit, like I. I've tried a few lending protocols um, here and there, and I really hate the experience. Like it's so tough <laughs> as like a person like me, because like once you like lend money, your job is to watch the chain 24 seven for like a sudden price quick that might go down in the course of one minute. Um, and it's like terrible because like, even if like you are online and watching the computer, which I don't like to be chained to the computer 24 seven, but even if you happen to be in front of the computer during one of these like downward price spirals, you often can't even do anything because like gas fees go up to like 10,000 um, or whatever. So it's like impossible to like add collateral or something. So I really like don't care for the, um, it's not that I don't care for the lending model. Like it works for some people and I'm sure some people who are more sophisticated have like built bots to manage and move liquidity if they see these things. Um, but like just for me horsing around, I was kind of like, this sucks. Um, so I'm really interested to see if the launch of Curve USD ups the game for all lending platforms in general, um, because it does mm. have a very different UI in terms of like the constant liquidation and deliquidation when you get into range, which is much better for passive LPs. Um, and I think that Curve is implementing it in one way, but I think that every existing um, lending protocol might well like you know read through the public source code and try and build their own version of like a passive. Um, uh, like a friendlier passive um, solution for their lending protocol. And it could like unlock like this entire, like uh, it could like make the experience so good across like all these different lending based uh, platforms that we might see like a huge resurgence in like, uh, or, like a huge amount of TVL creeping into all these lending platforms. So I'd say that's like the first thing in the short term that like I'm excited to see if like other protocols take their cue from this and build. Yeah, you're, you know what, you're right. Um, the way that, the llama liquidation engine is structured aligns with curves passive ethos of passive LPing, passive uh you know borrowing not having to worry um i you know from past experience trying to build bots that watch for you know let's say you have a position and building bots that watch for it and making sure that the bots like work and on time you have to be perfect you have to be like a hundred percent otherwise there's no second chance um, and it yeah. just takes one time to mess up. And so I don't think it's a viable strategy long-term, um, like building these bots. I mean, like, yeah, they can work. You just got to make sure like that, you know, they are do their job. But I think something like Curves Llama system, it, you know, you're right. It's like something, you know, that we'll see much more of like prol proliferate throughout the ecosystem. Um, we'll see. Yeah. It's interesting to see like once it like launches and they're ready to launch. Um, yeah. And, uh, but, yeah, say, yeah, that's the short-term thing I'm looking for. The long-term one that I'm really interested in seeing how it plays out, and I don't think we're going to see this for some time, is what happens when we start adding other collateral tokens besides just Ethereum? Because at first it looks like it's going to be Ethereum, you lend Ethereum, and you get dollars. And I'm not likely to use that. Um, maybe I'll try it, but like I don't like I like Ethereum, so I don't really see much need in doing something like this. Um, 
But it looks like there's a factory built into the GitHub repository. It looks like the DAO is going to have permission to like whitelist new collaterals. And one of the interesting things about this is that uh, each of these new collaterals is itself an AMM, right? So if all of a sudden we start adding a Bitcoin pool and an FXS pool and whatnot, then instantly you have a robust AMM between Curve USD and like nearly every other token. And because, because all these pools are already making money from the operations of the loans, like, you know, people paying interest and like liquidations, it means that you could actually set the trading fees to like almost zero. And you can still have Curve USD be uh, like this token that allows like almost zero fee access to every other token in DeFi. So I think like you could actually build this like incredibly robust trading platform at atop this um, lending platform. And that's not something I've seen before, but I'm pretty excited about the implications of that. Wait, can you repeat that? That sounds yeah, please. really <laughs> novel and innovative. Zero. Run that back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like the lending, well, every lending pair becomes an AMM, like once Correct. it's listed as collateral, and it pairs to CRV USD and right. um, uh, continue. So like initially, like when you uh, like there will be, let's say, some amount of Ethereum and some amount of like Curve USD in like that first thing. And one of the one of the things that you can do with the smart contracts as it exists is uh, it serves an AMM. So if you have Curve USD and want to swap to Ethereum or vice versa, you can do it directly in that pool. Now, the all the different like so like this particular like ETH Curve USD pairing it already makes money because it's like all the mechanics of a basic lending based stable coin. There's like a APY you have to earn, uh, you have to pay back the interest on that. So it's already profitable. So if you wanted to, you could have that AMM be zero fee. I don't think they will do zero fee, but you could push the fees as oh. low as you need to. And you could still have the entire system be profitable. Yeah. So it I actually can... means that they can build the most efficient exchange. And this is just off the ETH curve USD pairing. You add in, let's say, wrapped Bitcoin is another another pairing. Do you like know that's kind of maybe more attractive? Now all of a sudden you can take your ETH, convert to Curve USD for no fee, convert the Curve USD to Bitcoin for no fee. Yeah. Do you no fee do you know if these like pools are they going to be isolated pools? So it's like there's no routing. It's just like you only trade like CRV USD to ETH or CRV USD to FXS or CRV USD to WBTC. I haven't seen a router that currently exists, but it wouldn't be a stretch to create one. Like, uh, it's tough to build routers on chain because, like, the like optim finding the optimum route is still better done off chain. Um, yeah. So I imagine it'll, but I imagine it's going to happen to the end user as you visit curve.fi and like when you visit it right now, it's just the kind of like routing box, and I imagine that it's going to like route it and do everything on the back end and find the most efficient routing, which would not most cases might be through Curve USD. That'd be, wow. That's, Kit, what are your thoughts on the, you know, the structure of Curve USD in, in this farm? I'm thinking about like, I mean, how do you mint Curve USD in the first place? So it gets minted when you supply Ethereum to it. And then they, they do have like an internal like module manager that like keeps track of the price and liquidations and like keeps the uh, asset stable or whatnot based on spacking. Um, but that's the basic mechanic of it. I give one Ethereum and I mint a thousand curve USD against it or something. Got okay. it. And in this pool, then obviously it can't be one to one because it it needs to be skewed in some way, right? Because you can't just mint one one for one with the ETH and curve USD. 
Yeah, I need to look at the like exact mechanics of how it works, but I know that it's um these pools do utilize price oracles, so it would not be uh it would not be trading it uh just based on the composition of the pool. It would be trade trading it based on the price oracle. And then, understood. Like like uh, the curve oracle or like chain link multiple ones. So I think it has the capacity to use kind of like nearly any oracle that you okay. would, would want. Um and I don't actually. I'd have to do some research. I don't know what the uh, what's using for the ETH price oracle. Hmm. Got it. Interesting. Okay. And uh, I know that it's using a like exponential moving average. Well, it has the capability of doing a few different like ways of smoothing it, but it does like use a smooth version of the price, um, which is something the V two pools also do. So that when you see those like crazy wicks up in one yeah like one block and then it goes back, um, at least it smooths out the effect from that. I I, I hope it sticks with that like the on chain oracles. I'm definitely like. Uh, a maxi one in that regard. Um, yeah. the, ne- the next uh, question I want to go to and something that has been, a lot of people have been asking me since CRV USD got announced was, uh, you know, what about Frax in this? Like, what do you see like the relationship being CRV USD and Frax being after CRV USD is being released? Do you see like, I mean, could there be like another base bar pool with CRV USD in it? Like that's like something that's been on my mind as well. Yeah, I think you'd have to ask Sam uh, at the end of the day because he's <laughs> yeah. like a he's the genius and he can do pretty much anything he wants because he's got such a nice stash of curve and convex and everything. Um, I could see a lot of ways, uh, a lot of things happening. So like I could certainly see a Frax Curve USD base pair. Like that would be like a much kind of more decentralized base pair than the Frax USDC. Um, and then like if we do see this situation where Curve USD. Um, becomes kind of this like hub asset that allows for low fee trading, then um, uh, the advantages of a Frax Curve USD base pair would be that like Frax instantly gains like almost immediate access to that because you'd imagine it would be like a lot of liquidity in that pool and pretty low fees. And then Curve USD would also benefit from like all the advantages of the Frax ecosystem. So I can yeah. see that being a super natural pair. Um, but on the other hand, I know Frax is investing a lot into this USDC uh, base pool. So I don't know if that's like something they would actually be interested in. Um, but yeah, that, uh, yeah. You know, I could also see like a number of ways that Frax, because Frax is like this point, like tokenized a lot of access, like Frax ETH and things like that. I could see it serving as good collateral, um, especially if it's already in itself interest bearing. I could see it serving as good collateral for minting Curve USD too, once that's allowed. Oh, that'd be really cool too. And I, I think there is this, you know, mutually beneficial relationship between if hypothetically like the the a base pool it's like one is over collateralized the other is more capital efficient they're fundamentally structured differently but like if they can both like just play off of each other's strengths they can just superpower each other yeah i, I really think so because um yeah i i think i mean i'm like i'm very bullish on the DeFi space and i think that the like interesting thing about all these different stable coins that come out is that they each end up kind of gravitating towards their own specific use case, right? Like a tether is worth the same as a USDC, but in different cases, you want one or the other. I think it's going to be very similar with like Frax, like because Frax, like in addition to like the composability with all the other like curve pools that are launched against it, because Frax base pair is like up to 20 or 30 pools on curve. It's crazy. I was like trying to run the math. It's like a third of the total volume locked on curve is in some way touching a Frax base pair. So like a Frax gets buys you access to all these pools. Um, and I think a Curve USD is going to be like very useful around the Curve ecosystem. So I could yeah easily see like um, easy bridges between the two becoming incredibly helpful. Yeah, not something to get excited about 
during during the bear for sure. Um, yeah, and we keep track of it every week. Uh, the the progress of the frax base pool uh, and kit, you know, can go into that even more. Just like you know, the ups and downs. Or as today, it was just a little, a little bit, a little, little this, little this, little that. Right, kid? Yeah, always. I mean, that's what the frax check is on uh, uh, this week. A little bit of this, a little nice. bit of that. And um, I, I mean, I'm, what you said earlier, I just want to double back here. Having a curved USD and frax base pool and having that at zero fees and being the counterparty token for every single pair on curve wow yeah wow. it'd be big okay. yeah so it's, i mean i mean uh sam has like a huge amount of like he's he's been accumulating convex i think he's got like three some million or something convex um and needless like i think uh frax is locking curve now so like yeah. if you need to get it through governance like frax is a protocol that could easily make it happen so yeah. it's like i say like this is really up to sam where he wants to go with things yeah i mean like it's funny because i was like originally thinking like for volume's sake um because there's still so much demand for uscc and tether like having like a like a new four pool with like frax curve usd tether and uscc um seems but like that would be like the practical base pool, but for like you know the decentralized decentralization maxi or like towards that bend of like oh like we should like make a cleaner break, it should just be another like two pool between Frax and CRV USD. Um, you can like make arguments for both, um, but you know that's what the beauty of governance is, and you know, uh, and like it'd be interesting to hear what each community says. Yeah, last four pool didn't go so well though. I know, I know. Yeah, that, I know that pain. Um, yeah, speak. <laughs> w- looking back on like when Terra had its like whole like come up, you know, first half of last year. Like, what were your thoughts and like what what was like the general temperature of like the Curve community? Because like Doe had so much momentum and fire. Like the way like Anchor grew and Terra grew, and there was a Dgen box, and it was just like it was you know it was market you for let's be real but like <laughs> looking back like what were you were you like at that time where you're like there's something like up here like we should be more village, vi- vigilant um what do you think <laughs> my first thought was relief because i remember thinking to myself hey i've got a few thousand dollars where should i put it well maybe i should try and do this terra thing because it looks like you know, a lot of smart people are doing it it hasn't imploded yet it's worth a shot um so i got saved from uh losing some money mm-hmm. <laughs> now i I think it's like I, I'd stayed out of UST for a long time um, and mm. deliberately so because like a lot of these you can look at and just read through the chatter. And when too many people are saying, uh, especially like people that you trust are saying it might be a scam, um, you know, you can do pretty good by steering clear. So like yeah. by and large, like I've managed to escape all of the past year, like obviously like everyone's like tokens went down, but like I care about like not losing tokens, right? Like, I don't care if, like, Curve goes down 90%, but if I get rug pulled and lose a stash of Curve tokens, then I get upset. I've managed to not lose many tokens, um, except for a small amount that I had tried in Bancor. Um, but other than other than that, and at, at Bancor, like, not I didn't see a lot of people, like, um, saying it was a bad idea. I saw people mostly saying it seemed like it was, you know, like, uh, like a lot of the Chainlink community really liked Bancor. And so I saw mm-hmm. some positive testimonials and decided to try it. Um, and who knows, maybe they'll find a way to make people good at some point. But um, mostly I, I like 
you know, people talk about USDD, stay away from that. So I stayed away from that and have been pretty safe. People said stay away from USDN. Uh, people said stay away from uh, UST. So I'm really grateful that I have been like following along the conversation stayed away. But I still think that um, the thing that was most shocking to me about the collapse of that is that, especially like in like Korea, for example, like um, using Terra was not like considered like terribly a degenerate activity, right? At the time, Terra was a top 10 protocol, um, like on CoinGecko. It was like as common as us, like putting money into Ethereum. And if like Ethereum collapsed tomorrow, we'd be shocked and devastated, right? Like, and we'd tell our friends, like, I can't believe I lost all this money in Ethereum. And their response would be, I told you it's like a Ponzi scheme and a house of cards. It's your fault for doing it. But like those of us that like follow it closer, like we think we're being fairly responsible. We think we're like kind of erring on the like more conservative side of things by like only going in like the more battle tested protocols. Um, so to see like something that like seemed so like secure um, from a lot of people's points of view, just go up in like an instant. Um, just kind of really told me that like it could happen to anything, any of these things we're using. Yeah, you can never be too careful. And, you know, what seems like a sure thing today could be, you know, dust tomorrow. And like we saw that even recently with FTX, like everyone was so sure it was like the safe exchange, this and that. And then mm -hmm. now, now, you know, SPF's in prison and that guy, John Jay is picking up the John Ray is yeah. <laughs> John, not John. That's the Supreme court judge. John Ray is picking up the pieces, but you know, I want to like, you know, fa you know, I know. get, get, I, wait. I feel yeah, bad. It could happen to curve. It could happen to Frax. Like I'm obviously yeah. betting it doesn't, but like I could wake up tomorrow and I could find that curve collapsed overnight. And like, I'd be really sad. I'd be okay. Yeah. I'd be, um, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just be like, what have I spent my last few years doing? It's the nature of the space, honestly. It's just, I view us as all in guinea pigs. We're on beta and we're all testing for the big time when we're like, when DeFi is hundreds of billions, if not trillions in TVL, which leads me to my next question. So what is the ultra bull case for Curve? What is like the, you know, what does the picture look like for Curve, like DeFi crypto domination? Um, like what, what is like the end game, like years from now, if like Curve can reach its full potential? Yeah, you kind of hinted at this question before, and I struggled with it a bit um, because I was like, okay, ultra bull case for Curve. Let's be as hyperbolic as possible. Like, how does yeah. Curve get to number one on CoinGecko? What's the path between here and flipping every other crypto uh, cryptocurrency in existence? Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a tough path. I'm not going to lie, but it's possible, right? Yeah. So I, I mean, like, I guess there's one way to, for the token, the other for the protocol, but we can start with the like token first. Continue. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, like, it, it's still kind of like in this like fantasy realm a little bit, but uh, like to get to number one on CoinGecko, Curve is going to have to flip in Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin's number one right now. Now, I think Bitcoin arguably is easier to flip in than some other cryptocurrencies, right? Because like I like Bitcoin and I like still like am a fan of it, hold some, and I'm like, um, you know, impressed with like all the progress it's making. But it doesn't do much like Ethereum like is so much more powerful and interesting. Like it seems clear Ethereum will flip in Bitcoin. Maybe Bitcoin falls down the ranks and Curve climbs up the ranks. OK, so we're pretty good. Now, let's say Curve is like killing it and like all this like uh, being this like money black hole and all this money is flying into Curve. To get to number one, it still needs to flip in Ethereum. And that's tougher to figure out. How does Curve flip in Ethereum? And um, I can't easily come up with the... Um, with an explanation for how Curve flippins Ethereum, except that 
Curve is launched on more chains than just Ethereum, right? So it's launched on Avalanche and Phantom. So hypothetically, to get there, if Curve is going to be number one, it has to have like significant outsized presence on side chains, and side chains have to significantly gain ground against Ethereum, such that they threaten it. And Ethereum, so Ethereum flippins Bitcoin, and then several other chains threaten to flip in Ethereum. And Curve just kind of like sits there as the glue that holds them all together, and uh, somehow through all that flippins it. So I admit it's a it's a slim path, but that would be the path I could see to Curve. Hitting number one on CoinGecko. So it's so like almost a lot of like flipping. almost like how currently you were to use a parallel today. There is like os- osmosis, right? And um, you know how osmosis on Cosmos is like literally the swap chain of that whole mm-hmm. whole ecosystem and all the chains right. that it's in Cosmos. So so Curve can kind of like grow and gravitate towards that. Um, interesting take. Now. Yeah. I'm, now that being said, I'm I feel like I'm a bit more practical with it. Like I just want Curve to kind of just keep crushing it and like growing along with this entire market. Yeah. I, and I, like the, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, like it's a good question. So what's the ultra bull case for Curve? Kind of like more practically, um, I think like Curve's focuses, as I mentioned, was like on like extremely low slippage trading um, and attracting heavy amounts of liquidity. So I think that like the more that Curve can continue to attract liquidity. Um, such that like as the entire DeFi space goes from billions to trillions, um, Curve is right there absorbing a lot of money. And like I think Sam, it was Sam Kazemian who said it, like nearly any problem in DeFi can be solved with a lot of liquidity. So as long as Curve keeps developing and like building up that liquidity, I think it's going to find like interesting new applications to launch on top of it. Yeah, um, speaking of new interesting applications, um. Are there any that you've seen that caught your eye? Like something that's caught my eye recently. Well, not recently. I've saw it launch like a while, like a while ago. Was Conic? Um, like, what are your thoughts on Conic Finance, especially with like CRV USD coming out? Can you also for viewers who don't know, can you explain what Conic is? Yeah. So Conic is super interesting, and it's uh, basically its idea is like single sided liquidity. So they have this concept of Omni pools, which says like I'm a lazy LP. I have dollars. I would like to earn yield on my dollars. I don't like want to be like moving my money around as like things go crazy. Um, the idea is I will just ape into a conic omni pool with dollars. And then the conic DAO is in charge of saying, okay, this week it's going to go into a frax pool. Next week it's going to go into a MIM pool. Um, because like for whatever reason, like MIM's yielding better. Um, and then, oh, MIM like is having like a risk of depegging. So let's move it to something else. And they have like different weightings and they're currently undergoing like the votes right now to um, like decide which pools are going to be supported in Conic. So mm. it's like a super interesting concept. And if it works, it's going to be like really useful um, for like LPs. So I, I like Conic a lot um, in terms of what they're trying to accomplish. Um, I'm also aware that people who are smarter than me have told me that single sided liquidity never works. Um, it always leads to LP losses. So I'm really a bit nervous also on that level. In that, um, in that, you know, you could see instances where a DPEG happens and people lose some money and like it, it reflects poorly on Conic and maybe like their token price goes down and like it becomes like a, like it inhibits their growth. I don't know if that will happen. I know that like uh, there's like some smart people building it and I think there's at least someone on the curve team I haven't identified who supports Conic too. 
um, which is probably a good sign. So I think that like it's worth holding, like it's worth looking into Connick and seeing, seeing where it goes. Mm. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, it's kind of like a in a like a bank account, like a DeFi bank account. Like oh, just like let your funds sit here, and it's in like the curve, like the bank of curve or like curve ecosystem. It's a way to yeah. like conceptualize it for like people who aren't very DeFi uh, fluent. Um, are there any other projects like Conic or like any other projects building around the Curve ecosystem um, maybe that we don't know about that have caught your eye? You know, there's a there's a lot of stuff that gets launched and I try and do my best to like dig into it every time they do. And um, like, I'm very bullish on anything that builds on Curve. I have to be careful though, because like, you know, I think we probably, we haven't said it yet, but nothing on this podcast has been financial advice. Oh, we have it. Advice. Yeah, no, we have a disclaimer. It's in okay. the yeah, description. <laughs> it's in, we have a video thing that we covered there. Okay, good, good, good. Um, Like, so like just this morning I, uh, for my newsletter, I wrote about Gearbox, which I hadn't even, I heard some like things about it here and there. Um, And I started looking into it and I feel like I, it's another one of those protocols where I probably could spend like a month looking into it and still try to be like uncovering things and try and understand it. Um, and it seems really interesting. So what they're focusing on, it's not just built on curve. It's built off of like a few other protocols too. Um, but what they're focusing on is like uh, leveraged yield farming. So in, if, basically if I ape into curve once, maybe I get like 5% off of the frax pool, which is, you know, whatever. But if I leverage that 10 times, then I could earn like maybe 25% yield. Um, but then the, the issue is as you leverage it like the uh the the amount that like a dpeg can hurt you like gets worse and worse each time you leverage so like your drop dead price might be like if you like frax drop to 10 cents or something maybe like you know that would kill you on a like one like if there's no leverage but as you leverage it multiple times then like a drop to like 97 cents might kill you so yeah. like leverage, of course, is like dangerous. Um, so like, that's why I say like not financial advice, you know, do your own research. Um, but the concept of leverage yield farming is like really interesting stuff. Um, yeah, we had, we had them on the Gearbox guys on a few weeks ago and, and they oh, yeah. broke it all down and it was great, like very useful tool. And I like how on-chain and DeFi native it is like very fitting, very much, very necessary, like in the direction that we should all build in, in, in my opinion. Right. Um, it's like a kid. great middleware layer. It's like a like yeah. for for Gearbox specifically. Like I also feel like one thing that Curve, or rather, not a lot of people highlight about the Curve system is it's more than just a, a dex, right? It's VE tokenomic. It's VE tokens design structure and the token emission itself. That the whole gauge system is a product. Like that's why people buy CRV and lock it up to VE CRV or or CVX. You know, same reason. Like that itself is a product and that product, that cannon is going to keep on firing for 300 years. So like if, if you don't want to use your own token emissions, like Curve has you covered. And I, I feel like that's definitely not talked about enough. And I, I want to get your thoughts on that. Like, do you think it's too much emissions like per day? Because this is quite aggressive, the, the emission schedule. Or do you think that's the cost of doing business? So I think in a way, Curve kind of got away with it because it was early and the first to do it. I think if it tried to launch it today, I'm not sure that they would be able to get away with it. I think they just would have gotten like emitted into the void um, and just disappeared. But so 
its emissions schedule is the same as Bitcoin's emission schedule, right? And Bitcoin's emission schedule has basically been saying that like, we're going to like emit all this Bitcoin and in return, like we expect that someday the trading fees will um, be able to like, um, we'll be able to like support it. And it's a little bearish on Bitcoin that I don't know that's going to happen. So I don't actually know what's keeping Bitcoin afloat other than speculation at this point. Um, Curve also like did a very similar concept because like uh, instead of doing halvenings every four years, they did like a they prorated it so every year it reduces and it amounts to a halvening every four years. Uh, now Curve has been around for two almost three years, um, and at this point, like a lot of the curve has already been emitted. So like one of the reasons for its like aggressive emissions was it, like there's many reasons. One of which was to decentralize it at the beginning. Right, get as much VECRV into as many people's hands. Um, where Curve is different from Bitcoin is that Curve actually uses this for governance. So Bitcoin is just the trading, uh, essentially the mining fees you get off of it. Curve became what was just the promise of the trading fees, but also the value of the governance. And by being so early, I think um, that governance actually became valuable. And not every protocol has it. Like I think Frax has it. Like I think the Frax governance is valuable. Um, but if I launched a token tomorrow and said you have governance value to it, people would value that at zero. Um, but it is like a fortunate thing that Curve has like attained governance value for its token and people um, do in some cases like see value in locking it. Um, so it's hopefully got network effects that make it more resilient at this point. But again, I could wake up tomorrow and it could be gone. So your opinion on the VE system, you know, it was good for Curve because they were the first ones. They were the pioneers. Um I, uh, it was good for, in my opinion, it was good for Frax because they were like the follower, first follower of it. And it made sense for their stable coin, but for mm. other like projects and other systems, like you don't think it's so great. Maybe are there some exceptions to that? Are there other tokenomic systems that you have an eye on? Like, what's your opinion on like the VE system overall since covering curve? Yeah. Yeah. So I still am a fan of the VE system overall. And I think that, uh, like, until I see a better system and I'm not sure I have, like, I'd be interested to hear, like, if you hear, like, have heard of other like alternatives that are better. Um, like the VE locking system, I feel like solves so many of the problems that any DAO planning its tokenomics, like is going to run into. It's mm -hmm. sort of inevitable. Um, I think that's the VE tokenomics system does not necessarily require the aggressive emission schedule. Cause convex, mm -hmm. for example, is also on like a similar locking mechanism. It's just their locking mechanism instead of four years is shortened to a few months. Mm -hmm. And instead of a 300 year emission schedule, they are knocking out their emissions in like the span of a year. Um, but I'd still argue it's like still informed by and related to a VE system. Um, would you agree or disagree with that? Yeah, no, it's definitely like a variation of a VE system. And I think, you know, you, I've seen different projects, you know, come up with VE systems for their specific needs. It's like, oh, we don't need it for four years. We can do it for this amount of time. Hey, maybe right. we can have like, uh, you know, a rage quit for it, but there's like some penalty. Like there's different variations right, of right. it. So um, it'll be interesting to see how it comes along. I feel like from like what I've seen, um, VE has kind of fell out of favor a bit because I feel like the you know, aggressive emissions gave it a bad name. But, you know, it, I feel... Mm -hmm. But um, and other new token systems, you know, the the fad of like the moment, I think, is the GMX token system with the multiplier points. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Which is, instead of like you lock your tokens, it's more of like this non-transferable token that measures your conviction in a pro protocol. And, and in the same way that it rewards 
you know, if you lock early on curve and you accumulate early, you get rewarded. It's the same thing, but instead of there being like a liquid token to sell, you kind of just, it's a measuring system basically. And you get emissions right. that way. Um, but I am, a, I'm a fan of both systems. I really like the VE system. I think like it's played out super well to curve and frax and their testaments to that. Um, I, and I think like there are protocols that just don't implement it in the right way. I think it just needs like variation, uh, for like, that fits the protocol's needs as all incentive systems do. Yeah. I think the thing people need to remember about V tokenomics is if your token doesn't give you some kind of yield. Um, so like in curves case, it was like the like trading fees, which didn't need to be much, but there just need to be some promise of yield to it. Otherwise there's not a lot to build on, right? Like it just kind of goes to zero. Okay. So VE token. Okay. So VE tokens need yield to have value. That's like the foundation. That's why I would say, I, I mean, okay. it's possible someone can prove me wrong on that. But if yeah. you are like, like, what are you trying to like lock up if you and uh, what's the incentive to lock otherwise? Yeah, and then I, that I agree. So, yeah, go ahead. So the, the way the way I think about VE tokenomics is like it, it allowed for a uh, unlock of two things. First being cash flow, meaning you earn this uh, value accrual that Curve Cap mm-hmm. just talked about. And on the second hand is control. So meaning, you know, you can vote on governance and vote on token emission uh, gauges and things of that nature. So combining these two together, there's like control and cash flow. I think that's what right. powerful for a, a VE token. Now, I would want to maybe have an unpopular opinion here and say that if a protocol indeed has real yield, then it doesn't need to do token emissions. And if it doesn't need to do token emissions, then, well, you know, the control portion of a VE tokenomics is no longer needed because you don't need token gauges because, mm-hmm. you know, there's real yield in your product. So the only thing that's remaining is value accrual. And I mean, if the underlying is already generating real yield, why do you need to buy this token in order to get a piece of that yield? You could just LP into that product or use that product and get real yield. So mm-hmm. I feel like if a product does have real yield, it is the antithesis to the VE token model. And you no longer need to lock up anything. You just, to participate in the yield, you just use the damn product. Interesting. Yeah, I think that's a fair argument. Um, so I don't think that, uh, like, I don't think it's like, if you are earning real yield, you are forced to use the VE token model. I just think that if you want the VE token model to work, it's a lot likelier to be successful if it does have yield back. So I Value think accrual, if, yeah. Yeah, I think if you're, if you're earning money um, through your token, like, you're in pretty good shape to be honest. Like, uh, like you found, that means you found product market fit and you can like dictate the like ecosystem, however you like. So I think at the end of the day, I think what we're all saying is like protocols that are able to make money are better off than the protocols that are just made for. I actually uh, haven't looked into this deeply, but maybe you can educate me here. It's like, how does the uh, curve treasury look like? Like what, what kind of assets are in the treasury? Um, I wouldn't necessarily know the answer to that because I'm like so far down on the curve uh, totem pole. Um, but the fee burners um, collect a lot of fees for curve, mostly in three curve, um, which right. is why if you lock the ECRV, you end up with um, you end up with like a, a like periodically, like every Thursday, you'll see like a claimable D yeah. yeah. uh, three mm-hmm. curve balance, like tick upwards. And then if a, if it's not denominated in three curve, then some of the burners will actually convert it to three curve every single week. Uh, so like it's a lot of three curve that's owned in the treasury. Um, and, and I, 
a lot of curve also has flown to the uh, core team because if you look at the emissions graph, um, it's huge amounts of curve went to uh, the founding team, which I'm not exactly sure who is on, but you know I'm pretty sure like it's just like the uh, core of like uh, mm-hmm. like Michael obviously has get like gotten a ton of curve from that. So um, I don't know if that flows or any what percent of that flows the actual curve treasury though. So. Got it. Okay. I'm curious because obviously Frax puts its treasury to work like no other DAO oh, yeah. I've seen. <laughs> yeah. You know? So like, I, I'm, I'm just curious, like Curve, like we're so integrated with Curve, meaning we as in, as in Frax. Frax is so integrated with Curve and I do, we just imagine Curve would be like, I want to put my treasury to work too. You're, you're using all of my infrastructure to do this, <laughs> right? So I, I was curious to ask that question. Yeah, no, it's a good question. I don't know. I'm going to want to try and research the answer to that because I'd like to know too. Um, I know that like, uh, I mean, I know that there's like a, a lot of the curve emissions get directed like certain wallets and things like that. So, uh, mm-hmm. and then the wallets can claim them and do what they want with them. So I'll just need to do some on-chain sleuthing and find a good answer for you because I don't have a good answer. Right. Um, it is interesting though. Like one of the things that I, is kind of unique about the construct of curve is that there is a entity um, owned by Michael. Like it's an actual like oh. real world business. Um, it's called Swiss stake. Um and if you like, if you look at it, all the contracts are the copyrighted, and like the like uh, Swiss Stake owns all the like legal rights to all the Curve contracts. I did so, not know that, Dave. Did you know that? I think I had an idea of it. It's not. I knew it wasn't like a. It's so it's not open source. It's just like the Curve contracts are like its own. It's copyrighted. It's open source in that it's readable. Oh, so readable. anyone can go on and, and read it. Um, you can modify it in certain ways. Um, you can't copy it. Uh, which oh, is okay. what, um, so like the test case, of course, was like Saddle Finance, just basically like copied line for line and re-implemented it. Like that would not be covered, um, but you could take it and modify it, uh, like take pieces of it and modify it. That would be fine. Um, okay. But in theory, if Michael wanted to, he could... Uh, through Swiss stake, which is his like Switzerland um, entity, he could theoretically like go after um, like saddle finance. And my knowledge, to my knowledge, he's choosing not to do so because he's like, well, there's not like no real gain to it. It would cost so much in legal fees and they don't have much. Um, but in theory, like they, like there could be a court case there. Yeah. How does that, f- oh, okay. How does that fit in? Or does this affect curve governance at all? Because I consider curve to be um, like one of like, in terms of governance and like DAOs, like one of the better performing ones we've seen in DeFi and crypto. Mm-hmm. Um, like in your, so who do you think are like the major players in curve? Does like stake Swiss affect it at all? You know, are there factions and like, how does the core team, you know, fit into it all? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, and I think, so first of all, I will say that like curve by itself is like, sufficiently decentralized at this point. So if uh, Meteorite like wiped out Swiss stake, um, it's going to do absolutely nothing to the operation of Curve on chain. So all like the entirety of the smart contracts like exist on chain as it is. Like the things that like Swiss stake has rights to is like the copyright of the code, which doesn't really matter on chain. And then like, I think any of the yields that Michael earns through the business of Curve, whatever that is, I believe um, I'm not a lawyer, not legal advice. I don't know if that's a disclaimer. Like all the yields that he earns through that, like then are owned by that Swiss stake entity, which can do things like 
um, you know, pay for business operations, whatever that might be. So if a meteorite wiped it out, like Curve is still going to keep functioning. A uh, large chunk of Curve is not going to be voting anymore, um, but there'll still be like, uh, there'll still be like plenty of continuity. As for the like uh, mechanics of Curve voting, like I'm really glad you asked this question because uh, it inspired me to do just a little bit of research on the subject um, because it's like, like, all these decisions keep getting made all the time, and it's such a small number of people voting for it is the crazy thing. So I, I took a look at like just the last 10 votes and ran some stats on them uh, just to get a sense of like what is the actual like recent state of curve um, of curve governance. So I looked at 10 votes for gauges and five votes for parameters. And like the story is like just so like uh, simple and boring. So generally, like there's about 50% quorum. Um, which is you need 30% for most votes or 15% for um, uh, things like parameter votes. So it's like usually nailing quorum. Um, usually there's an average of just 32 voters. Um, and that's the ECRV voters. Like we'll talk about convex in a second. And on average, there's 98% support for all the proposals. So there's like good voting, healthy voting rates. And the votes are sailing through um, with like incredible support. The most controversial one that I saw in the past 10 was one that only got 83%, uh, 84% support. Um, there were a couple that didn't pass quorum, though. And in some cases, that's uh, for different reasons. The general outline of this, though, is like there's like 30 or so voters on average, but there is a handful of whales that really tip it. So the first thing to understand about curve governance is that it's like mostly convex governance, right? Because convex has like near 50% stash of, um, of curve, but you remember you only need 30% quorum to pass. So in most cases, like if it gets quorum on convex, it gets quorum on curve and therefore it passes. Um, it's just a matter of like getting through convex governance. And convex governance also is the same thing where it is decentralized, like there's a bunch of protocols that own a bunch of convex, but there's also a few convex whales that can heavily tip it. Um, and it's not like, it's it's still decentralized. So like C2TP is the like the biggest convex whale, and C2TP is like 4 million convex. Um, there's 100 million convex, so that means like a 4% voting share plus whatever VEC every they have. So it's still very decentralized, um, but it also means that... Um, it's pretty easy to get something through by like getting C2TP on convex to support it. Um, it's a pretty strong signal. A lot of people will vote with it. And then that alone is enough to tip, tip things pretty much. Yeah. You know, we, we've dealt with the same in the Frax ecosystem <laughs> with Frax convex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> Now, there was one interesting uh, thing that came up the other week, though. Um, this is just this past week. There was a vote for a Stakedale Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi gauge. So Wi-Fi is the, uh, or it's probably Wi-Fi, because given the urine people like their hentai. Is it Wi-Fi or Wi-Fi? I don't know. Um, I think it's Wi-Fi, but like Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi is acceptable. Okay. All right. So um, uh, there was a Stakedale Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi gauge uh, that was up for vote, and it didn't pass quorum on convex, which was like kind of an unusual situation, right? Like... Um, in mm -hmm. all the last votes I looked for, it was literally like convex passes and it passes. Um, this was the only one that didn't pass um, convex. And it's just because a few people abstained, like C2TP abstained. 
Um, one person actually, like one of the bigger convex whales, voted straight up no on it. It's uh, OXF1F, who actually votes no on a lot of the proposals and leaves funny comments when he does or she does. So it's like really fun to read. Um, but even though it didn't pass on convex, which means convex is like about 250 million VECRV. Um, and then the next closest whales uh, for the ECRV are like 40 million. So you kind of need like five whales on curve to counteract convex's vote. Um, but because uh, basically all the other um, VECRV voters did vote in favor of it, like it passed quorum with 32%, needing 30% uh, for quorum. Oh. So it was just able to squeak over and, uh, and pass. Yeah, that's interesting. We had a similar situation in the in frass governance uh, with the Kyber gauges, um, mm -hmm. but they convex just straight up voted no. Um, and the thing is with oh, gauges, wow. yeah. It's just, and the thing is with the gauges, they are the low hanging fruit of frax because what's the most important thing to frax? Liquidity for the stablecoin and like having that liquidity locked. So like every gauge should pass in theory, um, mm -hmm. and so like. The community actually and like a bunch of whales in the community rallied together and actually um, voted yes for the proposal. At the end of the day, it was 34 million to 26 million uh, in favor. Oh, wow. So that was like one of the more active, uh, you know, votes in the in the FRAX community. But that ended up passing. Is there yeah. Any explanation from C2TP why it didn't uh, why he voted against? Um, the one I, I mean, the one comment I saw um was like oh like there there's no need for like more like sf sfrx eth liquidity um also i'm i'm not sure what it was like being talked about in the convex forums i think there's some rivalry between like hyper and curve or something that's the only like expl oh, okay. explanation i can inference from that um so but at the end of the day it passed like the gate you know the gauges will be there i personally think the like the proposal could have been written a lot better like it was like, oh, this this is what we recommend, and it listed like a bunch of like random gauges. Like I like my proposals to be like, this is like this is like what is going to be done, not like recommended and like here and there. It just like leaves a lot of room for interpretation. So like I thought it was gonna like not pass based on like not being that direct, but and it ended up passing, and I think it was like pretty big symbolically because a lot of I've like had like people come to me and like be like, oh, like having to deal with like convex in the frax ecosystem this and that but this just proves like if you like rally like the right people in the frax ecosystem like convex doesn't have a mon monopoly it's just one of many players in the frax ecosystem it's very easy people like want to vilify people here and there and like they want to like and whatnot but at the end of the day like you got to play the game right yeah I and the same thing I mean, curve. i've, I've, <laughs> I've yeah. tried to get things through the curve governance forum and i couldn't get it so uh, yeah it, it could be tough i'm kind of curious like what's the reason that um like from Frax's perspective that they would reject gauges if they do. Cause like with curve, like there's now the crypto risks team that kind of says like, Oh, we think this might be a dangerous protocol or like maybe like yeah. it's a scam or something. So you shouldn't vote for it. So obviously like for scams, like, or like, I mean, not that if you get like, if you get rejected for being a scam, but like that would kind of more be the reason why on curve side, you would reject a gauge for something. You just didn't want uh, yeah. curve. I'd say similar reasons. rationale. Yeah, I would say similar reasons. Like, let's say if it's like a brand new exchange or brand new AMM, it's unproven, or like if it's mm -hmm. an Anon versus Stocks team, or like it's a Anon team, but they have like no track record behind them. Like, it would be more of a risk thing of like both, you know, smart contract risk and rug risk. It's like, oh, we don't really 
trust like this AMM, like we're going to hold off for a bit, but, um, mm -hmm. I was, yeah, it's a risk thing for sure. Got it. Makes sense. Makes sense. So, so I, I have a question. I've been keeping this in just because I didn't want to make uh, any uh, uh, frenemies here. But I'm like, is, does there come a point where you're like, huh, this other project that is outside of my, my, my token, owning too much of my token, like, is like, should we put caps? Like, should governance to like self-protect itself? Because like you said, Curve needs to find five whales in order to outvote Convex's VECRV stash. Like, does it come a point where it's like, you know, you can't really control your own destiny anymore? Like, should that have been a cap in the beginning? Um, and any thoughts here? Yeah, it's, good. it's a good question. I would personally not necessarily be in favor of that. Didn't Balancer or something go through something like that recently? I thought there was like a VE balancer, like something or other. I didn't see, I don't pay as much attention as I should to them. Um, where like a whale got too much power and agreed to give it up or something. No, um, no, no. I did not see that. Oh, that's so interesting. I didn't see that. Uh, man just might've been imagining things. I don't know. Um, I'll have to look I it think up something might've happened like with a Juno or was it like some, there was something with whales. I don't know if it was that thing specifically, but drama with whales. Um, but I don't know. Yeah. So I feel like there was a lot of concern with um, uh, as Convex started to like gain majority control, there was a lot of questions about this in the Curve community of like, is this going to like damage things or be like trouble? Um, now, in my opinion, like Convex is like itself decentralized enough. Um, so I don't see the issues. Um, but yeah, let's let's follow it down. Like what happens if like Frax ends up like owning all of Curve? And majority stake is that like trouble for Curve? Well, Frax itself is kind of decentralized in its way, right? So I think Frax is probably like um, like then if you want to influence Curve, you have to influence Frax. So if it's a decentralized protocol that takes it over, I don't see any issues necessarily. Um, okay, let's uh, let's let's go the other way. Uh, Gensler decides he wants to take down DeFi, so he orders to buy up all the Curve on the market and lock it. Like is maybe that's like a more of a concern. Um, like oh. possibly a regulatory capture because like a regulator purchases all the tokens and then orders the protocol to shut down. I guess like I wouldn't be super in favor of that. I also don't see how you'd stop it though. So wait, the oh, part, that's like, the, so interesting. The, wait, does that happen? Like regulator buys the bags. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but but think about it. if they bought the bag, they can vote on the governance proposal to be like, I vote to shut down Curve, and then know, they right? can just vote yeah, themselves yeah. in. I, I I guess it's a possible risk. I uh... <laughs> that would be such a plot twist. Oh, I'd be like, thanks for pumping my bags, but you just also <laughs> yeah. killed my dreams. Or what if like, <laughs> or what like, what if the? I guess this came up in my head. I guess this this is more in the bull case category. Like, imagine if the Fed just starts buying Curve, and then for like Fed coin, they like direct emissions to their Fed coin and like some hype you know, future scenario or different central banks just buy up Curve to do that. I guess that's the ultimate dream bull case for Curve is that like all the central banks hold it and, you know, direct admissions and, you know, earn fees and stuff. I don't think our Fed's that smart though. I don't think so. I Welcome don't think to that the that Fed five wheel. <laughs> I think there's a few central banks out there that may be savvy enough. Like I know the Brazilian central bank is a uh, cryptographically signing off on real mints. Um, I feel like they would be savvy, potentially savvy enough to do it. 
in the future, maybe like Estonia, because they do a bunch of like cool cutting edge tech stuff. They're out there um, and, and, it, and it kind of breeds some necessity. So we'll see. I think actually that might end up happening. Like you'll start to see some nations start to like play with these things. And at the point the United States decides they need to jump in, the United States will be late, but they'll still have such a like heavy amount of like ability to print money that they could like throw their weight around. But the space will like be decentralized enough in its way where like Central African Republic will have a larger st- a larger footprint in uh DeFi than they had yeah. any right to just because they were early right like el salvador will like yeah. punch above its weight and yeah. it's like this is like ways for these countries can get exposure to u.s dollars without holding actual u.s dollars um so it's an interesting thought experiment but um that kind of gets into my next question what's like the ultimate like bull case for DeFi, like from an adoption standpoint like from for you know trillions in TVL central banks playing around, they have stashes of maybe they're running their own LSDs, maybe you know they have their own stashes of curve tokens locked up. What do you think is like the ultimate bull case for adoption? Yeah, it's a yeah, it's a great question. I think DeFi hitting trillions in TVL is inevitable, to be honest. Um, so I think the amount of money that's currently in DeFi relative to the actual utility of DeFi is comically small. Uh, the entire crypto space is under a trillion dollars right now. And I looked it up. In the past two years, the current presidential administration in the U.S. has added $5 trillion in spending. Just like that. So, like, what should you rather have? Five entire cryptocurrency ecosystems or whatever corruption and bloat that $5 trillion went to? Like, there's just so much money that is in has to go somewhere. And inevitably, it's going to go in the smart place. So... Um, I just have to imagine the money printer is going to resume at some point and uh, we're going to see a lot of this money flowing. Um, but, you know, I think what makes it a really tough question is like, what is the killer use face for crypto, for crypto that makes it sufficiently useful? And particularly because like we're in this bear market and conditions are different than when I was first looking at it like a year or two ago. Because at the beginning, um, like you could just look at the heavy yields DeFi was offering. And you could say banks are giving you like almost 0% and DeFi can give you your choice of like 1% to 50%, depending on your risk tolerance, 500, 1000%. And just look at the yields and say money is going to follow the incentives and it's going to flow to DeFi. Um, But that's not like the case anymore, right? Like um, now, like you can get 5% yield on treasuries and like yield in DeFi, like 5%, you know, it's like starts to approach like questionable rate. So it's like not necessarily cut and dry um, why DeFi is better. Um, I broke it down to a few categories of like how you could try and compare this. And I still come to the conclusion that DeFi is better, but I actually like it's not as slam dunk of a case. So basically I see like you can like look at this um, in terms of like six different things I dreamed up. There's probably more. This isn't comprehensive, but you could look at like yield on dollars, which is kind of a draw, right? Like. Um, you can get good yield in DeFi or TradFi, so neither neither one's going to attract money. Um, but crypto asset yield is only a DeFi phenomenon. If you want Ethereum yield, you have to go to DeFi. Um, so if you are investing into crypto, like it's going to find its way into DeFi. Um, composability is also like another big one that people uh, say like DeFi is like like DeFi is very composable, right? You can build on Frax, you can build on Curve. 
Um, but I don't necessarily think this is going to draw money in because I think there's just different sets of Legos for TradFi and DeFi. In that, like, if I want to, um, like, if I want to build something that, like, interfaces with Frax, interfaces with Curve, and interfaces with, like, all these other, like, protocols, I have to go to DeFi. If I want something that, like, talks to my bank and talks to the grocery store, I need to build on TradFi. And it's really been resistant to bridge TradFi and DeFi. Um, and I'm not convinced it's going to happen as soon as we'd like. So I feel like we just actually have two different kinds of composability. One is like very fast, but it's all like digital money. The other is like slower to build on, but it's like touches people's lives. Um, so a few other like factors like uh, convenience. Like I think DeFi is more convenient than banks. Like I can bank on weekends using DeFi. I can't using like uh, regular banks. So that's useful, but is it going to draw money to DeFi? I'm not sure. Um, I think the transparency angle is like a huge win for DeFi though. Like um, the existing financial system is so opaque. Like we saw like people can't figure out like what was FTX doing on their books, but they can track the money on chain. So I think the transparency angle is like great for DeFi. Um, I don't know if it brings people in because they like the transparency or not. Um, and then the accessibility, I think is also a thing that in America, at least I don't think we pay enough attention to, but like in Foreign countries, like I visited Argentina this year and inflation's crazy, but it's so easy to get dollar coins there. That's like a killer, that that one is a killer use case. Um, so it might be that DeFi like gets all of its TVL flowing in from outside America first is kind of what I come to. Yeah. Although, yeah, although in practice, like all the TVLs coming from America. So maybe I need to think that through again. It's like practically it's coming from outside from America but speculation and financialization wise, it's coming from America. <laughs> like, right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, no, that's a, those are very good observations. Um, and I, I kind of thought along in the same light, uh, wait, Kit, were you about to say something? Yeah. I, I think another bit too, is like the permissionlessness nature of things. Right. I, I feel is should, should not be discounted. Um, yeah. I think the, the hard part was like getting on chain. But like once you're on chain, I've, I've never found myself to desire to go off chain. Like back strongly again, agree, right? yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the, the only the only copy that's like you know let's, I I can you know do some punts with some you know SPY calls or you know some 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 QQQ calls or like any equity based stuff because you just you just can't touch that, right? Mm -hmm. Aside from getting access to that the equity markets, I feel pretty you know confident I can do everything on chain. Uh, and even the equity market seems kind of boring compared to DeFi. Yeah. No, no, yeah. it's, it's true. Guess, it's, it's all about access, right? Like it, it's, even if it's boring or not, some people like boring, right? It's, true, it's just yeah. the accessibility yeah. that we need to be able to provide. And I, I think that's what DeFi could offer sooner than later. Yeah. I guess one of the advantages I should have mentioned that I didn't think of at the time is just the, um, like building off what you said, like anybody who can program can launch a DeFi smart contract. It doesn't take anything. Like you need maybe a hundred bucks to launch it. Um, so yeah. if you are like indigent, like you could like get that round of financing to get it off the ground. But because like literally anybody who can code can launch something on DeFi, whereas in banks, you have to go through so many hoops to launch something. Um, the innovation from DeFi alone, like is just going to kill banks, right? Like if you can't compete with hundreds of thousands of developers, like, uh, coming up with imaginative new solutions versus like a bank trying to go through a four-year regulatory process, like uh, internal like committees to launch something. Just, just 
night and day. Like the, the innovation is going to overwhelm, um, like almost DDoS the traditional financial system. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. We're going to DDoS the compliance system, baby. <laughs> yeah. So I actually want to also get into um, what are your DeFi predictions for 2023? Yeah, this is, this is fun. Um, so we, I mentioned that like the last year has been really good in terms of like just really amazing protocols getting launched, mm-hmm. um, like all the stuff on Arbitrum, like uh, Frax has launched a bunch of like really great, like innovative um, protocols. Um, like was it uh, Chicken Bonds that uh, uh, Liquidity launched? Yeah, I think it's like yeah. a really fun innovation. Uh, and they probably wouldn't have needed to come up with something like that interesting if it was a bull market. Because if it was a bull market, everyone's throwing money everywhere. But like because we're seeing it's like so tough to get money, I think we're going to continue down this line of seeing like just really like interesting, innovative protocols get launched in 2023. Yeah. So I think that like if I'm like looking for um, predictions for 2023, I just think that the innovation is going to be like astounding for people. I'm excited for that. Um, what are your thoughts on the f- Frax um, there? Oh, oh, David, before we jump in, yeah. can I ask more questions? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, please. Innovation or adoption? Uh, I don't think adoption. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put money on adoption. Um, so I, I do think that I talked to a lot of people who say like FTX is set everything back by five years. I don't think we're going to see like massive adoption. Um, I'm not into the camp that says that the institutions are like out for five years. Um, I think, yes, FTX is a setback and we're going to be dealing with the fallout from it. I still think there's a lot of, um, I still think there are some like institutional Web3 VCs that didn't get burned by all this, that have money on the sidelines that will put money in when they see things um, returning. I think we're also going to even see some big companies like Visa the other day came out with like a pretty interesting way of doing like payments uh, automated through for self-hosted wallets, which I kind of was astounded by. So on I think the Starknet. institutions <laughs> and Starknet. What's that? It was on Starknet. They did the. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, I think that the institutions are close enough to like maybe trying some things. I don't know. I can't. Uh, I can't predict. What... I think that we will see people starting to come back, but. I think that it's not going to be next six months. Like mm-hmm. I agree with people who say like the first two months, uh, first two quarters be kind of sleepy. Um, but yeah. I, I think that amongst the people who are still here, like we're going to have like our choice of like really fun um, services and like whatnot getting built. So, yeah. so like you said, the, the 10 people in DeFi right now are going to have a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. The 10 people <laughs> who stick around. Yeah. We're going to have a blast. <laughs> yeah. Three of them are on this interview right now. So I know right? it's 30%. <laughs> Have you, ever had on curve. <laughs> yeah. have you ever had more than 10 people on one, on your podcast like you can't it's not possible no, <laughs> no way be, no way that'd be a lot of chefs in the kitchen um yeah i think <laughs> in the same way that there's like a lot of builders you know working you know heads down i'm sure there's a lot of institutions that we don't know about that are cooking up some things you know because now if you think about it like maybe like the first time an institution heard about it was took crypto kind of seriously it was 2017 2018 and then it was like oh forget about it then they see it come back you know this cycle and they're like okay we ha- we should pay attention to this we have to pay attention to it and now it's the bear i'm sure there's like there's gonna be some surprises next cycle and some plot twists that we don't know about and i'm looking forward to seeing them yeah for sure yeah um and like one last question i want to get your opinion on before we uh move on to our, our lightning round um what are your thoughts on the Frax desire and intention to get a Fed master account? 
Have you heard about that? I've heard like some rumors. Could you give me the full story? Yes. Yeah, so uh, Sam came on a month or a month and a half ago, uh, gave a full interview about Frax's plan to uh, get a Fed master account, which is basically a bank account at the Fed. So you have the safest, most risk-free yield there is, which is um, interest from the Fed itself. Just like having mm -hmm. a bank account at like one of the Fed regional branches, in the same way you would have it at a community bank. Mm -hmm. so, so I'm in favor of it uh, because I uh, I agree that it's like the best source of yield. And it wasn't a question like uh, right two years ago when yields were zero, like no one cared. Mm -hmm. um, and the question has come about like how do you tokenize T bills? And I feel like most people are like if you have an unauthorized way of like um, accessing Treasury bill yield on chain. Uh, you're going to get killed, right? Like, <laughs> you're just going to send a drone to conveniently eliminate you so it doesn't come up. So I, I feel like it's safest if it's done through the kind of like regulatory system. Um, yeah. Uh, what does it mean for Frax, though, if that does happen? Is Frax going to like have to like be like censoring bank accounts and KYCing and all that to get access to it? Like, um, no, how I imagine it is there probably be either some bridge entity and it wouldn't just be. It wouldn't be Frax, the stablecoin that's directly touching the Fed. There would be like another stablecoin, like FRX USD. And, and mm -hmm. Sam has talked about this in the chat before. It would be FRX USD. That's like the one to one backing. And that's like, mm -hmm. I, it's like, think of it as like USDC, but instead of like mm -hmm. circle custody, it's the bank account at the Fed. And it, then right. it's the FRX USD that's backing Frax. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. That's kind of cool. I mean, um, I'm not like I, I'm pro decentralization, but I'm not the sort of person that thinks that it all has to be like completely like outside the real world because there's there already are all these real world mm -hmm. bridges that are getting built, right? Yeah. Like the fate of Ethereum rests. Uh, Mike, Michael made the point um, that the fate of Ethereum, when there was the proof of work potential fork, um, like, right? Like uh, Ethereum yeah. is going to fork into Ethereum, Ethereum POW. Michael said like stablecoin issuers decide, right? Literally, stablecoin issuers decide it's going to be ETH or proof of work. That's who makes has the final say. So we're already centralized and like beholden to a lot of like, like Circle kind of owns Ethereum on that on at least at least that front. So mm -hmm. like we're kind of already beholden to it. So um, the better we do it building these bridges, I think the better. And I think I think the way we get the centralization on chain as we start to invite centralized players in is if like they all come at once and they're all like trying to grab um, as much of a stake as they can. And no one gets more than 50%. So bring them on, bring them on, bring them on. And likewise, like I like the idea of like Frax going off chain in this manner. And like, I would rather have like FRX USD than USDC. Yeah. 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 I'd agree with that. Although I did just hear that uh, I'm, I haven't tried this yet, but apparently circle has a service where you can send USDC to circle and they will just deal with all the bank account stuff on the back end and deposit money into your bank account, which sounds like kind of a cool service. Like oh, I was thinking of trying it. I, I, that sounds useful. That does sound really cool. Yeah. The more yeah, right? bridge, yeah. The more bridges of like adoption there are the better. Otherwise it's just like magical internet coins and it's not real. <laughs> and for a lot of people, it's not real. I think like the more it becomes real to people, like it's kind of a flywheel of adoption that will take place. Yeah. I, yeah. Someone said, made the point that NFTs are like the backdoor way of getting people onto um, onto cryptocurrency. And I actually kind of think that might be true, sadly. 
Yeah. It's the top of the funnel. It's the easiest to understand. Yeah. Like the whole Reddit thing where they were like, just like going crazy on Reddit and didn't realize it was like uh crypto. Like, I think that's going to be happening a lot in the next like five years and we'll all be very happy uh, and hanging out with each other, like toasting each other that we made it. Yeah. In uh, what the year 2030 or, or what, what are we talking? You know, <laughs> this happened way faster than all this happened way faster than I thought. Cause like, remember I was like first looking at this in 2014. And if you had told me that in 2021, a nation state would adopt Bitcoin as its national currency, I would have said you're crazy. I, I, I thought that was 2030 and that happened in, that happened last year. Talk about top signal. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think that uh, you get, we've got two so far. We've got uh, El Salvador and Central African Republic. Yeah. The third goes, it's just going to be spiraling. Yeah. No, I mean, as an observation, they adopted it when BTC was like at 50, 60K. Oh, yeah. That's what I meant. I like, (laughs) oh, for sure. El Salvador. Yeah. From a speculative, from like a pain. Yeah. From a trading standpoint, you know, top signal, but from an adoption standpoint, like so important for the long term having countries like adopt btc on their balance sheets and be interesting like what else you know we talked about it earlier like is it just gonna be btc will it be other things but countries adopting btc or like central banks adopting btc like they do gold will that will that be the thing that like gets bitcoin like to full adoption like to full sustainability i mean um who knows it's the best case for bitcoin i've seen is like the adoptions that are happening um I still think it's insufficient um, to prevent an Ethereum flipping, though. Even if every nation adopted Bitcoin, I still think Ethereum would flip a Bitcoin. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I, and I, I, I think for for BTC right now, it's like it's like you know you can't get fired by buying IBM, right? And mm-hmm. that's probably what every nation is approaching. Like, yeah, you know, BTC is the top one. But the moment mm-hmm. he flips it, like it, it really loses a lot of of that. Uh, um, allure, right? It's no longer the top one, and mm-hmm. regardless of what anybody else says, is like you, you can't just default on on its old merits anymore. Yeah, and I, I think we're going to see institutions adopting. Uh, so countries might adopt Bitcoin. Institutions will be adopting Ethereum. Yeah, and not even you can in build the... on it. Yeah, right. You can program it. You can do stuff with it. And as institutions start to adopt it, nations are going to have to adopt it. So. Yeah, not even in their reserves, but like in their operational budgets, like they need to pay for gas. <laughs> so they're going to have to yeah, buy yeah. it. Yeah. So, so, so that's actually, yeah. <laughs> NFT, yeah. I, I, I was going to say that like, that is actually my most bull bull case for Ethereum is when like institutions and corporations stop buying ETH or Bitcoin for their treasury on their balance sheet, but as CapEx. Like they mm-hmm. need to spend it in order to operate, like how they have to buy like AWS credits and things, things of that nature. Like it turns yeah. into like CapEx is when mm-hmm. we know like, holy shit. All right. This is a real, real thing with real usage globally. Yeah. The funny one I didn't see coming is that Polygon and their amazing biz dev mm-hmm. team is actually making it happen before Ethereum. So it might be Polygon that uh, flippins uh, Bitcoin first. Oh my goodness. What a, <laughs> what a timeline. Yeah. What a timeline. I heard with the Trump NFTs, they're like, did you do that? Like the BDC was, did you do this? No, did you do this? No one knows where it came from. It just happened. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Um, wow, that's all it takes right there. It's so funny because like adoption ha- never happens in the way you least expect it. Like I, I could have never imagined Bored Apes and I could have never imagined like the most used stablecoin in Iran is USDT on Tron. 
I know, right? <laughs> and the Trump NFTs are really interesting to me because, like, it, they what it sold six million, I think, right? Yeah, six I, million dollars or so. I, and then I, there's been like a thousand Ethereum and trading fees. Yeah, yeah, way more. Yeah, off of it. So yeah. if, like, if the campaigns realize that there's money in this. Like, and every, every single campaign politician. all of a sudden has to launch one except Elizabeth Warren because she's protesting it for some reason. Yeah. Like, what a great backdoor into, like, getting regulators to, like, be like, wait, you can't shut off my, my uh, you know, Donation my Ron DeSantis wing? trading. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, like, I thought the way Trump executed the NFTs were brilliant because it's, you have Trump who's, like, you know, the, one of the greatest shysters of all time. And then he's like going to NFTs, like selling it like a nine, like a nineties or two thousands infomercial. <laughs> and like the, and like at the end of the day, like NFTs, like as they are, they're just like a piece, they're just a picture. And it's like the, the, it's like a really shysty thing. And so it's just like combining like the two together, like there was kind of an art form to it that like I feel like for a lot of people or like for a lot of people, they're just like, this is the funniest thing. I'm going to go like so on in. brand. So on brand. <laughs> like, you know, and he, the way he has says crypto, it's just like I, I, I was. It was so funny. It was just really funny just seeing it and then play out, and then it actually like doing well. I haven't paid as much attention to it as I should. I um, I'm facing a little bit of like an existential, not like I, I guess a dilemma on it because I'm a self avowed like single issue crypto voter. Mm -hmm. Like I, I don't care about voting or politics. I only care about like voting yeah. for people who are going to advance the cause of crypto. Does that mean I'm gonna to have to vote for Trump in the next election? Um, well, at I don't the know moment, I don't know if he said his crypto stance. I mean, yeah, he's he, in I NFTs. mean, by but by default, by having an NFT collection, like that yeah. would sort of oblige me to vote for Trump. And I don't think I can like tell my family I'm uh, voting for Trump because it'll kill me. You know, you, you can <laughs> just you know skew the truth. You can just be like I abstain from whoever I, I abstain from Biden. Oh, I'm just been. really hopeful that other. Other like candidates follow suit, so I don't have to vote yeah. for Trump. I think or, it's, like like su yeah, I, I avow support for him at least. It seems like in terms of party lines, I could be wrong, but like Republicans are being more pro crypto. Like they see an opportunity there. Like Ted Cruz, uh, Tom Emmer, the guy from Minnesota, Rob Tom Emmer, like super, Emmer's amazing. He's he's yeah, th thank God for him. And I think like a lot of uh, pro crypto people got voted in. Uh, this cycle, like on from both parties, actually. So I think they're yeah. going to come around, and this will be a real opportunity, especially like when they're going to have to like fundraise and stuff. They can just go to all the crypto donors, um, just not SBF. Yeah, <laughs> just see, not that really course. is like, <laughs> that really is the dream. I think is like we start to get the crypto wealth into politicians' hands, um, like because there's a ridiculous amount of wealth even still in crypto, and yeah. uh, I do think that they are coming around and like. Uh, it's like mostly like the old school politicians. Um, like you're right that like more Republicans tend to support it, but there's also a fair amount of like young Democrats that are yeah. really doing it too. Yeah. So like Jake Oshenkloss in Massachusetts, uh, Richie Torres in New York, like um, Ron Wyden's a bit older, but he's mm -hmm. like really good on it. Um, so like, it is like, it can't become a partisan issue uh, yeah. for it to be successful. It just needs to be like, like the internet's not a partisan issue. Yeah. Like, I know Cory Booker has a strong, like, has been strongly interested in it and has been like pretty active in that regard. And he's a democratic Senator from New Jersey. Um, and also behind you is a uh, packed right? You mentioned to that oh, yeah. before the show. Yeah, that was, um, so we launched that a year ago, uh, over a year ago to try and like, uh, to try and realize this thesis of like, how can we make it as easy to buy a Senator as it is to buy an NFT? Um, <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. And 
uh well we we are like we're still working uh we have we'll have some announcements on uh like some actions from PacDAO within a couple of weeks hopefully um but there's a i'll just say that there's a lot of groups that are like really like working towards like trying to spread the cause and advance it and doing really good work on that front um yeah like the regulatory situation it's like still rough because like there's people like elizabeth warren who just set it back but there's like a, a, a large group of smarter people that are starting to get things through and yeah. like we hope and pray that they're able to get through the ftx noise and i think they might but i think they will i think people are like actually wise wise enough to it like the way tom emmer is speaking mm-hmm. on twitter and publicly the way even jp morgan said in their like evaluation of ftx situation and they literally said jp morgan like this was not a failure of DeFi. this was a failure of centralized institutions so I'm like, I'm more of an idealist and I'm a little bit more optimistic, but there's definitely a lot of like headways, especially, but I think if we can make it through this year, if we can make it through 2023 and into 2024 into like the, that, you know, election year, um, I think we're going to be all right. Um, and it's just a matter of execution. Just like, I hope Congress just like wise, wises up and wises up and rises up. (laughs) Nice. Nice. You should be a politician yourself. That's pretty good. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Thank we're gonna you. send I, Dave to the hill. Actually, in a, yeah. in, a, in a past life, I did work in Congress. I oh, was, nice! I was a hill turn uh, in college, so and I was nice. Yep, yeah, that one summer. So I yeah. didn't spend any time in DC, but I spent a little time um, working for political campaigns way back when. So yeah, I, I did that too. It's a good formative experience, honestly. That's but um, it is, and it was also enough to convince me to stay away. <laughs> yeah, literally same. But it prepared me for frax governance. So. There you go. <laughs> Bring it back on chain. Bring it back Real right. governance. Real governance. It's supposed yeah. to matter. Yeah. So, uh, so, yeah. so, so curve market cap here at Garrett. We normally at the end of, of these pods, we do a series of just lightning round questions just to kind of get to know you better. And uh, I always like to start out with the first question is, when did you first touch the chain? What is your virgin crypto experience? And buying tokens on sexes don't count. <laughs> Um, okay. So if buying tokens on centralized exchanges don't count, always like, okay. So I had, um, I had some crypto from 2014, but that was on Coinbase. So that doesn't count, right? No. When did you touch the chain? I moved it into a cold wallet for storage. I think a year later. So 2015, I, um, oh, actually no, it was 2017. You know what happened was I was, okay. This is a funny story. I was asking my, uh, Back when Bitcoin hit like um, 17K in 2017, remember that? Like it like spiked up and it was like super mm-hmm. high. It was also around Christmas. Um, so I offered my family um, a choice, each, each of them a choice of like, I forget what, like something else or like some amount of Bitcoin. And um, most of them took the not Bitcoin. So um, <laughs> I got them whatever, I forget what. Um Except my parents were interested, but they didn't want Bitcoin. They wanted Bitcoin Cash. <laughs> Bcash. They wanted Ooh. Bitcoin Cash. Um, so I obliged. I gave them like a full Bitcoin Cash because I was like, I don't care about this. Um, and they've uh, been upset ever since. They've reliably predicted the top, by the way, every single time. Um, in last summer, my mom asked me about buying some Ethereum. I should have sold everything at that point. Um, no, actually thinking back to it, though, I, I did do some on-chain transactions back in 2014. On Bitcoin. Wow. Super cool. Okay. And color the coins? Question. I was playing with colored coins. I was trying to build a wow, GitHub. Wow. Oh, a, a, 
I was trying to build a GitHub um, replacement. I was calling it BitHub, where you would actually like track contributions on chain and use it to like earn a earn a stake in a project based on your contributions. Oh wow, you are a serial entrepreneur, just constantly building. You're a serial builder. I love. I, it. I think it could still be a good idea, to be honest, but it's tough to build, and I hate Git. So, <laughs> um, a second question here, my end. What is your favorite off-chain hobby? What is your favorite touch grass activity? <laughs> um, let me think. I read. I go like do a lot of walking. Uh, some biking when weather's better. I've been doing a lot of swimming lately. I don't know if that counts. Counts. Cool. All right. Biking, swimming. Yeah. Um, what's some advice you would give to your younger self? Like maybe out of MIT Business School. My younger self. Um general life advice. I feel like when I was doing startups, I very much neglected work-life balance. Um, Cause you know, it's like when you're doing a startup, you want to go all in on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I would force myself to, you know, take an hour to touch grass, like you're saying, and like, not like there, there's some basic things you can do to keep your health right. And so much of your life like improves when you do it. So. And then the last question on my end, if uh, you weren't in crypto professionally, what would your career be? And, and and you can't say in tech either. I was in crypto professionally? No, if you were not in crypto professionally, what would your career be? What would you be doing? Yeah, so I do teach a like evening class on um, fintech. I don't know if that counts um, for the University of Washington here. Like... Um, so teaching, okay. But I, I don't think that would be my career, though. That's like more like a hobby. Like, are you talking about like my nine to five? What do I do every yeah. day? Yeah. What would you um, do? I still feel like I have like some random like startup ideas I could be pursuing in the Web2 space. Like, probably something related to artificial intelligence. Um, I think that there's like the chat GPT bot, there's still some applications that you could use to it to make some money off that. So I'd probably be pursuing a startup with that. Cool. Cool. Okay. Well, that's it on my end. Yeah, that's it on my end. Uh, Curve Market Cap, Garrett, it's been an alpha filled two hours. I've just, you know, <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> thank you so much. I don't know if it was any alpha I gave because um, I like I know nothing about like the alpha going on at Curve, but it's uh, yeah, it's a pleasure to chat. Uh, it's the interpretations. Really <laughs> yeah, it's the interpretation. Well, um, and you're such a good dude, man. I'm so glad yeah. we got to spend some good quality time here in 2022 and head into 2023 together yeah well, let's get all of you onto uh, one of our llama parties in january uh, yes we've been doing do these it. like live we'll discord there. chats where we bring in a guest of honor um so i can reverse it and uh, have you two be in the hot seat for a bit oh, yeah let's do it too yeah let's yeah. do it man talk soon yeah thanks so much everything said on this episode is not financial or tax advice this channel is strictly for educational purposes and it's not an investment advice or solicitation to buy or sell any assets or to make any financial decisions. This video is not tax advice whatsoever. Please talk to your accountant and do your own research.